Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 282nd episode of MTG Fast Finance, where you can now slip us a Benjamin to conjure a fresh card to watch at will. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what do we have on the agenda this week? Well, this week I figured we would have four segments. Uh, segment one, our MTGO metagame week in review. We'll look at a modern challenge from just two days ago um, and a modern super qualifier with uh, an interesting little narrative in there. Our top paper mover is a selection of some of the cards that have moved the most in price the last week, along with the uh, top MTGO movers. A segment three, our cards to watch. James and I will run through some cards we think look good on in the future. And finally, our topic of the week, segment four, uh, we have a Arena Hist- Historic Masters, Historic Horizons set releasing with a pretty big change to what magic cards look like. So we'll get to that at the end here, but let's start out on the metagame week in go. <laughs> I am never going to say MTGO metagame week in review correctly the first time it comes out of my mouth. Uh, taking the top spot here is Elementals, a deck that kind of seemed a little uh, gimmicky at the outset, but kind of keeps showing up over and over again with some Endurance, Fury for the Omnath. It's got Solitude in there as well as uh, Running Six and, and Teferi. So these incarnations are really holding their own with uh, an otherwise very powerful set of cards. Yeah, we saw Elementals getting played on stream pretty shortly after the appearance of the Evoke Elementals in Modern Horizons 2. Um, and it showed up here and there in top 8s and top 16s. But this is Canister taking it on a modern challenge um, last weekend with an updated version of the list. Harbingers, that's the first time I've seen those in the list. Uh, Fury and Solitude instead of Subtlety, Endurance, or Grief as centerpieces in uh, in this Elementals deck. Omnath, Locus of Creation, of course, has done work in a variety of different shells, including Five Color Nibmizzet. Uh, and then Prismatic Ending and Lightning Bolt um, are hardly surprises. Utopia Sprawl makes sense when you're trying to cast uh, what is essentially a four-color deck. And then Ephemerate lets you go to town with your Elementals, flickering them in and out and getting extra triggers off of your Omnath and your Risen Reef. Uh, to do some serious work. Um, correction from my earlier statement, there are two Endurance in the main here. Um, so it's Grief and, and Subtlety that are left out of the main. Good Grief. 
Good grief. Uh, so yeah, Elemental's looking like a fresh contender for top eight metas and certainly worth keeping an eye on. Um, Hammer Time, second and third here with the standard for Urza Saga for Esper Sentinel. Both cards still looking strong, not broken so far. Uh, Esper Sentinel and Saga both looking like rares that are going to do dual format work, so should ab absolutely be in people's portfolios. Uh, food Deck uh, with three Urza in fourth here, and I think this is the first time I've seen them run four expressive iteration. I'd have to go back and check some earlier lists, but that may be an innovation. Uh, Merktide, pretty standard looking version of that list with two Brazen Borrowers as standouts in fifth. And then Shardless Footfalls in sixth and eighth, the one in sixth running four Fury, four Brazen Borrower, three Gemstone Caverns. Uh, in the land base, which was absent in the 8th place list, but they have 4 Brazen Borrower as well, and 2 Endurance instead of 4 Fury. I mean, I can definitely get behind the triple gemstone Cameron's main. Uh, you know, if you're going to live, live Moths here. Really get in there. Do it to them. Uh, <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. Uh, Blue-black blue Mill posting up in yet another top 8. So I don't think we can talk about Mill in the tones that it w were reserved for it two three years ago when it was basically considered a fringe list that people you know timmy's ran on fridays at fnm looking pretty obvious that blue black mill is a real force in modern and has to be played around yeah i mean it it's not probably not tier one but it is definitely you know tier two and the type of deck uh most specifically i think the type of deck that you're you're not going to deal with without intent um, most players, you know, most other decks in modern that show up, you know, random slew at, at FNM, you you are going to be able to conjure some strategy, whether they're mid range or control or an aggro deck or even a combo deck, you might have some plans, but you know, mill is just on such a different axis. It just makes you the aggro deck every time. And if you are not equipped for that, you have no meaningful interaction. I think I probably put this at tier 1.5. It's, it's showing up often enough that it's, I don't think we can put it down. And I think like Merfolk is probably tier two squarely at this point. Pre presents a very solid clock, but just doesn't seem to be easily tunable for this particular meta. Um, whereas Blue Black Mill certainly is. It, we, we don't see it winning top eights over and over again. And it certainly doesn't show up with the frequency that say Shardless Footfalls or the Merktide uh, is a dex show up. But it's still present constantly. If, if you count Merfolk as tier two, then we have different definitions of tiers. Well, I mean, Merfolk has top 16 recently, and I think top eighted a couple times since they yeah. got the upgrades out of Modern Horizons 2. And the upgrades were fairly serious. I mean, now that they get to run eight uh, cards that can turn people's lands into islands, and with Urza Sagas running around making that valuable, and getting their uh, three mana. Super Merfolk upgrade. I don't know if they're two or two point five, but they're. I I they're, usually they're higher than they used to be. I usually consider. I mean, tier one should really have roughly three to four decks, three to four archetypes. I think um, that might that's that's more that's probably a little more applicable for standard. Modern can be a little wider, but I, you know, if if I'm thinking there's at most five decks in tier one, my tier two is going to be an extra five to ten lists, and I don't even know if Merfolk lands in there. That's, so, that's I mean, do that, you think that, that, you that think, might be a worthy debate topic? Say next week. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know though if it really does any good for us. It seems like the type of thing they talk about on 
competitive podcasts rather than finance ones. Fair enough. I mean, Modern Super Qualifier was also this weekend, uh, and Hammer Time finished first there. Merc Tide in second, Velomachus turns in third, all decks we've seen recently. And then probably the most interesting development was a very clear meta-tuning of the blue-red um, Merc Tide slash older uh, prowess list into what I'm going to call Grixis Control. And that's with an asterisk for sure. But the addition of the black was quite clearly, you know, to get control, more control elements to address the rest of the meta. Now, they still have 11 or 12 creatures, usually dragons, rage channelers, Darcy's, Ragavan, and uh, in this case, Snapcaster mages to provide relatively early or late beats. But they seem to be most interested in, you know, getting a threat down if they have it. And if not, they deal with what's in front of them until they run that deck uh, off the table and then they kill them with whatever they've got lying around. Mm-hmm. They're, they're running three Ragavan, three uh, Inquisition of Kozilek, some mixture of Drown in the Locks and Coligan Commands, Coligan's Commands, Terminates, and Seal of Removal. Boy, oh boy. Which explains why <laughs> I sold a foil Nemesis copy around 20 this weekend. Ooh. It's a nice little, uh, nice little nugget. Especially given that that was, I'm sure, free foil leftovers from Super Collection 2015 or something. Yeah, from some other point in time. And so it would be cute if we saw this Christmas control list show up once. But the fact that it's 4th, 5th, and 6th means that, you know, there was a Discord or something that was discussing how do we, you know, what's the tuning to address the meta. And enough people agreed that this was going to make sense to pivot to a more control version of you know a shell that could still run darcy's and ragavans and then replace some of the prowess creatures or merc tide with snapcaster mage so that you get double duty out of your control cards and really just try to bury them in card advantage yeah i mean it definitely did its job right you know three copies in the top eight um they they came with a plan and it worked so we're starting to see this uh you know the evolution of this new Modern Horizons 2 defined format. And we see it again in the seventh place list. Indomitable Emmercool is what I'm going to call this. It's basically Velomachus turns, but they got rid of Velomachus and put a, a harder focus on just uh, being able to turn whatever tokens they get down via Indomitable Creativity or alternates thereof into an Emmercool, the Eon's Torn. Two copies in the deck. They run four uh, three mana Teferi, four Renin six, and note that you get those the Teferi Renin six package, just the best Planeswalkers currently in the format, pops up in a bunch of different lists that have completely different purposes, right? Like the the Canister Elementals list that won the Modern Challenge, runs three copies of each, and you see them show up in Shardless Football Footfall's deck sometimes, and here we have them in a a token into monster style list, which is just a completely different thing. They're also running four Prismari Command and four Hard Evidence. Yeah, yeah, the Hard Evidence. Hard Evidence cute because it gets you extra tokens on the table that you can creativity into what you need. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, white-green Heliod creature combo in eighth, so uh, an older uh, archetype that has still managed to cling to a, I don't know, tier 1.5, tier 2 slot uh, and still can be dangerous if people aren't ready for it. 
Yeah, the um, this this Emrakul build is kind of curious because usually if you're playing Emrakul, your intent is to have at least one or two ways to cast it. Um, and so you can get that trigger and get really paid for it. But this doesn't bother with that. This nope. just wants to put it into play. Um, and I mean, with Indomitable Creativity being a sorcery, you're putting that Emrakul in the play and then hanging out for a whole turn, hoping that they don't have an answer. Um, obviously, Emrakul is more challenging to answer than plenty of other permanents, but uh, I have put plenty of Emrakul on the table in my day and not had him when I untapped and proceeded to lose. So this is not <clears throat> invincible, that's for sure. Well, when we look, I think a lot of that is probably the the spell, the kill spells that are doing the most work right now. You know, you've got Prismatic Ending, Lightning Bolt, uh, Unholy <laughs> Heat, and Path to Exile, Fatal Push, Force of Vigor in the top 20. The Only a couple of those can handle an Emrakul. Uh, yeah. Can I, wait, were, can, were actually, can any I, of those sweepers? No. Oh, he has, does he have protection from monocolor? He has protection from colored spells. Oh, yeah, none of those things can deal with Emrakul. <laughs> yeah, it has so, to basically be a sweeper. It cannot be a targeted spell. Whereas Velimachus is significantly more vulnerable. Right. But doesn't he have haste? Isn't that sort of the... Uh, he does have haste. So, I mean, the plan with him is to put him in the play and then just immediately kill your opponent. He still dies to an unholy heat. Or a path. Yeah, yeah. Although we haven't seen too much path lately. Uh, well, path, path is still the... You know, I've been saying that myself, but path is still the 15th most played spell in the format. Well, 18%, uh, 18% of all decks, 2.5 copy average. All right, so maybe doesn't maybe not quite as absent as it has felt at times when recording this cast. Yeah, well, I mean, I, in, the, in the top eight here, not a prominent inclusion. But there's probably... Part of that could be that stats that are being collected include a bunch of decks that people have been playing for a while and haven't bothered to update. And yeah. They, and they finish top 32, but they fin don't finish top eight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So moving on to top paper movers of the week, we got Twilight Mire non-foils out of Eventide going from 22 to the early 30s for about 45 or 50% gains. Last print, print, reprint was what, M25 on those? Oh, was it? Did so, they put those there? I mean, I assume as much. That's why you wrote it down. Double Masters, actually. These are in DXM. Uh, right, Double Masters. So and the, M25, actually. And you can get them as cheap as twelve, you know, ten to twelve dollars from those last two sets. So the Eventide Premium is just original printing premium. Yeah, these are um, really useful in Commander. I'm, I don't think enough people play them. Most Give, likely, given that they all use the same, uh, more or less the same frame slash art. Is that true on frame? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, it's yeah. basically all the same card. I, I don't see. I don't have any interest in paying a premium uh, for these. Although I would certainly consider it based on your pick uh, of the Zendikar Expedition version, which because it's the only premium version. Yeah, yeah, it is definitely. You really don't have a lot of options here. There's no extended arts or anything like that. It's go bigger, go home, go expedition or go home. Random old. Uh, card of the week making a move Arabian Nights eye for an eye not on the reserve list but also not, not likely to be reprinted ever and it doesn't matter anyway because it's just about it being from the first few years of the game 38 to 74 this is just some listings drying up on TCG player I think you'll probably have trouble unloading them 
but you're also very unlikely to have them sitting around unless you are one of those players in our age range who has old binders sitting around, in which case, right. you know, if you haven't looked at those recently, you probably should give yourself a, a pleasant surprise and put your collection together and price it out. Yeah, a player of our age who also hasn't mined that more than once to pay for whatever anything else in life. Mm-hmm. Solve the equation foils out of Strixhaven, 350 to 7, basically doubling up and probably headed for 15 would be my guess. Sixth most played EDH card from Strixhaven, 6,200 decks already on EDH rec, which is 13% of all blue decks. Instant speed, search yourself up uh, instant aura sorcery. Is that the deal? Instant aura sorcery, yep. Yep. So. I had to look that up. Very, very solid uncommon to pick out, pull out of your Strixhaven set booster boxes or collector booster boxes uh, alongside expressive iteration. Yeah, it's sort of a like a poor man's mystical tutor, basically. Um, I wouldn't play it in any format, but I guess somebody is. Well, mystical tutor just puts it on top of the deck. Solid the yeah. puts it in your hand, so it's worth right. two extra mana. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I it's mean, instant speed as opposed to, is it or is it sorcery? No, it's sorcery. Okay. Yeah, if it was instant speed. Still. It'd be a little more passable. I'm a I'm a hard judge here. Yeah, seriously. I think think it's gonna see lots of play. So, uh, uh, didn't say it wouldn't see play. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dragon else Tempest. Is wrong. Exactly. That's that's <laughs> my theme. Uh, you shouldn't play Demonic Tutor in your EDH decks either. But here we are. Oh wow. Uh, Dragon Tempest foils out of Dragon's Attack here. 9 to 19. Um, this is Tiamat being in Dragon uh, Forgotten Realms, Adventure of the Forgotten Realms. Um, just dragons. People want to play dragons. Dragon Tempest uh, makes your dragons gooder. I for sure have some of these sitting around somewhere. From, Still? From like that era. Like mm. thinking that there would be enough dragons that it would it would be worth it. And Well, yeah, you, you were going to so be right eventually. Like yeah, there's... Uh, it was just eventually it was going to be uh, there was going to be enough dragons to make it good again. Mm-hmm. Other spell bomb out of uh, Modern Masters, uh, a set we don't really talk about all that often. Foils going from six to eighteen on the back of Aether Spellbomb being used, usually as a one or two of in the food decks in Modern. Very limited foil printings. There's the original from Mirrodin and the Modern Masters, and that's it. All the other appearances have been non-foil. Hmm. Yeah, this is one of those weird cards that I, I positive I have looked at this in the past and tried to make a pick work, but it just always felt like there was no good version. The Modern Masters wine like usually had kind of a higher supply. It was just kind of clunky. Um, maybe I missed the boat. Tried, waited too long. Stolen strategy out of Battle Bond 5 to 15 non-foils. Um, on the back of Prosper Tomebound f- being featured on Game Nights recently, and Stolen Strategy ended up being a, a really sexy turn in that episode. So thousands of people saw that go down and ran off to buy some Stolen Strategy, and speculators uh, probably parroted alongside. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had a bunch of these I found. but pleasantly surprised to see this. Ordered them forever ago on... Uh, somewhere overseas, I don't even remember where. We'll see if I manage to sell any of them, though. I think there's been some reports of copies moving in uh, in the Discord, so worth having a look. Tarngar- t- ton- tan? Tangarth. <laughs> Tangarth. T-A-H-N, folks. Garth. Tangarth. Talrum Hero. 
Just haven't said the word in 20 years. Uh, Plane Shift promo version. There's an alternate art. One of the random old alternate art uh, cards that Wizards released and then hardly revisited for better part of a generation. Uh, 38 to 128, which is probably just means a bunch of them under 50 were bought and now the only listed copy is at 130. I have no idea what you could actually move these at. There's no real demand for them other than collectors. Uh, but if you got one or two of them lying around, you might want to put them up for sale. Yeah, I mean, the only people who want them as collectors is, uh, has worked or has worked plenty of times before on this cast. Um, yeah. There were three of these guys, actually. There was Tan- three, I, a th- I believe it was three. It was Tangarth, uh, Airtie, and... Oh, the ship, right? No, I don't think Weatherlight had one. It was... Airtie is the, the young black student. Krovax or... One of the bad guys, I think, had his own. I think it it was one of the other Krovaxes. Now I have to look at this up. Uh, no, it wasn't Krovax. What is the other one's name? Who's the other bad guy from that era? Krovax? Uh, you mean the dude with the horns? There's... Air, maybe it was just Airtie the Corrupted. I know it was Airtie the Corrupted because there's the alternate art where he's uh, nuking some goblin's brain, basically. There, there is Skyship Weatherlight altered. There is. Yep. Yeah, it's, okay. it's by Kev Walker, and yep, the, yep, the, yep. the low the low price for that on TCG is. Uh no, low price right now. Heavily played nine hundred. Lightly oh. lightly played fourteen. Near mid fourteen, all? and there's only three copies. Is that all? Uh, okay. I <laughs> I I remembered the other two characters very clearly, but I forgot about the dragon uh, or the ship. The ship I mean, mm-hmm. repentant vampire out of Odyssey foils, dollar fifty to six. That's got to be on the back of people just randomly going after vampires due to double Innistrad, d- double dose of Innistrad this fall. Mm-hmm. And then along similar lines, Anami as one out of Savers of Kamigawa foils from five to 20, since it uh, will probably have some shenanigans with spirits. If they bring spirits back as a major tribe uh, in the Kamigawa uh, cyberpunk set that is supposedly coming out next year. Uh, I think the latest tidbit of news that reinforced that uh, assumption is that Wizards had registered the re- the relevant domain for uh, said Kamigawa set. I you know I don't care for this type of pick for this type of activity, um, even if it might end up being working because this is just saying oh I think there's going to be a Kamigawa set I'm going to buy a big rare from it kind of splashy card. Um, it's just, it's sloppy because the odds of this card actually like being useful and mattering based on what gets printed in that Kamigawa set are extremely low. Like it's just so unlikely that they're going to do something that makes Iname useful. However, that doesn't mean the price isn't going to go up and that people aren't going to want to buy a copy. So it like probably works out if you buy them now for cheap. It just annoys me that it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. We'll see. If there's a spirit-flavored commander deck, this card could get reprinted there. Um, if it, especially if it has some kind of graveyard manipulation theme, and it wouldn't be in foil, so you 
it's not crazy to think that the foils will make you a little money. I wouldn't want to have 30 copies of it, but I wouldn't mind having one or two. Um, no, I, I wouldn't either. I just... Not a priority. I, yeah, and I, I just, I don't anticipate it, like, truly being useful. Um, but the price will go up just because people are going to see Kamigawa and get excited and buy spirit cards. So it'll work anyways. Top Magic Online Movers of the Week. Renin 6 at Modern Horizons 1, up from 56 tickets to 67, 19.5% gains. Heavy Modern play behind that. Prismari Command we saw as a 4 of in that uh, Emrakul deck. And it's seen play uh, in the blue-red decks as well, uh, going from 9 tickets to almost 14, 48% gains at a Strixhaven. Mishra's Bobble, all versions were on the rise. For instance, Double Masters going from 24 ticks to 39 or so. 60% gains there. That would have been a nice one to get a pile of when the getting was good. And then Minsk Beloved Ranger out of AFR, two and a half ticks to almost five ticks for just about a double up on heavy standard play. Mm, that's kind of funny. Minsk. Um, yeah. Interesting stuff in there. I the the Mishra's Bobble. I find um, I don't know. I I'm not convinced that's going to stick around forever. Too seems like a card they could get rid of if they want to shake things up pretty easily. Yeah, I think I think people have generally agreed that it is has solid band potential. It's not like it's causing problems. It's just not. It's seems like it is making good decks even better. Um, so I guess. If, it get, if we get to the point where the meta is repeatedly just the bobble decks, then you know we'll have a problem. But if it's just one or two of the major archetypes out of, say, six to eight that consistently run bobble, then it's probably safe enough. Yeah, it's just if they're gonna if they're gonna get rid of anything in the format to try and move things along, it is a very easy one to toss out because it's just like this is not a what you would consider a healthy magic card. Cards to watch this week. My first selection. How about Fury, uh, a card I was debating on Twitter today as in terms of which of the elementals is the most important, um, because while Endurance C is probably uh, is potentially the most important on the basis that it sees the most cross-format play, like it's uh, one of the most played in EDH and one of the most played in Modern, uh, it's debatable whether Subtlety, Solitude, Grief, or Fury is going to end up on top and in which order. However, people have taken a swipe at this based on the weekend results. There are still $22 foil borderless copies lying around, but not too many. There is, it's shifting into position as a top 50 modern card. If it holds that position, then there's no way the foil borderless cards should be under $60 in the mid to long term. So calling this to go say 22 to 45 conservatively for 100% gains within six months, and that's that could easily happen before this cast even makes it out if people keep putting pressure on it yeah I, you know time and time again i've been a little cool on the modern horizon stuff but we get closer every day every every week um to finding the right spot for it and uh we're closer this week than we were last and i even have one myself um and I mean, Fury is really doing a lot of work online right now. I don't know if people are rushing to pick up copies in paper quite yet, uh, but I think that they probably will be in the next month or two. And like I said, when we talked about some of the stuff last week that, you know, even if you're not at the absolute bottom of the barrel pricing, we are very close and it's probably not a problem 
if you just want to go ahead and start hopping in uh, maybe you ride the trail down just a little bit as you go so i think you know if we're talking about the yeah you've got this marked as the pack foil is it the borderless foil we're talking about yeah it's the borderless foil okay yeah i mean for 20 bucks that's well it's basically in the same spot as the uh, my next pick i think which is uh virtually the same same spot here in terms of i'm gonna shift my call from 22 to 45 to 25 to 50 because by the time people get these it's gonna be up a few bucks yeah so my point being that i think we're getting very close to the bottom on rod horizons too even if we haven't 100 percent hit it on every card um you know that changes every week and i think fury is probably a very good one to jump in with given that it's positioning and modern at the moment well and if you take a look at it there's something under 20 listings left for the foil borderless so yeah we're definitely not talking about whether this is has this reached bottom we're talking about are we too late and hmm. debating it from that perspective well i mean for 20 bucks i don't think you're too late well hence the pick <laughs> but <laughs> but we're getting real close yeah i mean it, with only 20 listings you don't have too long left um alternatively uh my first pick is a little different but very similar it's Imperial Recruiter. This is, I started looking for him because I saw the Double Masters version and I want, and I know Double Masters has some cards in good positions right now. So I wanted to see what the options were. Um, I have to be remembered every single time I look at this card from DXM that he had no good treatment there. Uh, but he was in Modern Horizons 2 and he did get that interesting, the cool art where you can kind of see Kiki Jiki in the background. It looks pretty good. But this is a, a borderless mythic foil, Imperial Recruiter. Um, he's in about 12,000 EDH rec decks, which is a decent chunk. You would expect it to be a little higher given that he's been around since the inception of the format. The problem being uh, that this card is has been very expensive for a very long time. So there's probably, I, I would guess this would be in close to 22 times as many sets or as many decks had uh, it been a little cheaper for a little longer. Um so right now you can get these for about 21-ish dollars. Uh, you know, the price graph on that, it looks like it's just about gotten nice and flat there at the bottom. Um, it's been very good in Legacy for a long time. Not that I expect it to be a driver in price. It's just sort of a point about the card being viable. Uh, we haven't seen too much of it in Modern yet, but that doesn't worry me just because even if it hasn't found, they haven't found a way to make it work quite yet. I mean, I know I've seen it, but not, it's not like a top 50 creature yet. The opportunity is very much there. And, you know, we could turn the corner any particular day and see um, Imperial Recruiter, a big part of modern. So I think you're getting in here mostly with the intent to ride this up in EDH, but with uh, with decent chance of modern coming through and really putting some pressure and wind in the sails down the road. 21 to 45 for the foil borderless seems very reasonable it was reprinted as a mythic not a rare right yep yeah yeah that seems entirely reasonable they, it would be so much better if there was a modern deck that was running these in quantity um because then it would be right there alongside the evoke elementals as a double threat but it probably gets there just a little slower so i think it makes sense that my fury timeline is a little six months faster than your recruiter timeline yeah, yeah. I mean, as an EDH card, you're not expecting to get there right away. It's going to be a little bit longer. So speaking of fantastic EDH cards, one of the things I've been using as a heuristic when hunting on TCG Player lately 
and then using that as a springboard for additional research is, is there a mythic level premium card foil that is under 100 listings? Because that typically means it's time to start trying to measure your entry point. Teferi's Protection, foil Japanese alternate art mystical archives from Strixhaven, are down to 55 listings on TCG Player. There are no major walls. I think the most anybody has is four copies listed. Uh, the ramp is relatively steep. You can get copies currently at about $50. The art on this is absolutely gorgeous. Much higher quality than your average magic card. And this is a huge EDH card with 40,000 decks recorded on EDH Rec. Um, all of that says, says to me that this is going to go 50 to 90 or 100 within the year pretty easily. So we're talking about Teferi's Protection, the Japanese mystical archive. Correct. Foil. Where he's, yeah, where he's kind of doing his little... Uh, the super dynamic punch. swoosh. Yeah, Attack. cool, yeah. cool looking card. Um, yeah, I mean, this was. I, <laughs> did you not pick this before? Have we not talked about this? I couldn't find it when I searched it up. I can go back okay. and take a look. You go ahead and no, give me. You, you go ahead and give me your counter analysis, and I'll double check back twenty episodes. I mean, I'm not going to complain about it. I think it's a solid pick. I mean, Teferi's Protection is wildly popular in EDH, like you said, the forty thousand decks. The art looks awesome. Uh, I mean, if we're talking about sixty listings, that supply is definitely healthy. Um, given also that it's several months older than some of this other stuff, like the Imperial Recruiter, for instance, had like 50 vendors, and then we're looking at 60 for Teferi's Protection a little higher. But, uh, I mean, the card looks awesome. You're not going to see the art ever again. And regardless of what they do with Teferi's Protection, there will be uh, always be a group of people who want that version the most. Uh, so I'm definitely, you know, 50 bucks for these, even if it feels like you're not getting in right as the price turns the corner, that's still totally fine. You can kind of pick up a handful of these, stash them away, and I, I have no doubt these will double up. It's just kind of a question of, is it, is it going to take, you know, six months, nine months, a year and a half? I, but it'll definitely pull it off. So checking back, we, we, we didn't call it, and I think the reason that it didn't come up any earlier than this is that there was too many listings. Opening weekend and for the first, you know, first month thereafter, uh, after Six Haven's release, there was so much of this opened, and you had big walls up from uh, the gaming company and other mass crackers in the US. But all, a lot of that's faded because people have, you know, grabbed their copies and people have grabbed spec, uh, you know, bricks, like small bricks. And they're on their way to drying up. And you can't get them in Japan any cheaper because Japan sold some cheaper and then caught on and raised the price and then sold out and then raised the price again. So... And Europe's not any cheaper either. So it's not not very nice of Japan to do that. <laughs> well, they, they usually give you give you a shot at it, but they're not going to hold the door open forever. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, should be polite. I, I did free, free money. I did notice that my first edition Liliana Dreadhorde General is up to five thousand US buy list now, though. That <sighs> area, and given that we've successfully sent in buy list to them just recently. Uh, gives me significantly more confidence that if I pass that card off in its current condition, which is you know near mint unplayed, it will actually result in me getting something like forty seven hundred US. Oh, so if I was going to say wait five thousand yen US or five thousand yen yen, and so that's about forty seven hundred US, I think. 
Uh, well, five thousand yen would be five hundred. No, 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 no. It's five thousand dollars. Sorry, it's fifty thousand yen. Oh yeah, that's five grand. <laughs> Which is five grand. Yeah, that is five grand. Jeez, ridiculous. Um, yeah. All right. So my second pick for the week is I found this while I was poking through Volo, seeing what people were playing, and uh, I stumbled upon this guy, Peregrine Drake. Uh, this is the five mana Drake that when he comes into play, you untap five lands, which is very unfair in EDH since each of your lands probably does more. Most of your lands can do more than just make you one mana. So whether you're untapping utility lands or cradles or bounce lands, uh, that, that can get you a lot of advantage there. Uh, he's an 18,000 EDA track deck, so already a pretty healthy number to begin with. I mean, I think once you're over 20,000, you're, you're in like very strong staple category so he's he's grazing it um there's all there's only two foils of peregrine drake there's eternal masters and battle bond uh, both of which have you know relatively low supply at this point uh you can pick up the foils of this still for five bucks but neither one of them has particularly deep supply there are 10 vendors of the battle bond copies and i think there are 15 of the uh EMA ones. So there's not a lot floating around out there if you're looking to pick these up. Um, could you see more? Yeah, yeah, they could reprint this pretty much anytime, right? Like not not debating that. They're not gonna put in a standard set, but they can put in anything else. However, are they? Could it be a year? Sure. And I mean, for five bucks, I'll, I'm willing to roll that dice, right? I'll pay five bucks for these. Uh, and if we get three or four months out, these could definitely be 10, 15, theoretically 20 bucks um, especially if people start picking up volo and building a little bit just because he's a drake he's he's useful um and getting a copy with him is really fun because now you get to untap your lands twice uh he makes you mana so you know if we get some decent demand just a little bit of extra demand on this over the next month or two three months we could see this double or triple and you don't even have to sweat the reprint that long this is a nice under the radar selection and it really just depends i think it's a, probably a slow burner like i i would imagine these don't sell all that often if i look at the sales history you know given tcg is only showing us the last 10 now no foil sold in the last week now that's for the battle bond one right yeah i, I see two near mint foils on the 25th and the 26th on the uh, ema copies on ema and interestingly those were it looks to be about a dollar they say dollar 28 so I presume now that the latest sales doesn't factor in shipping. So those might have had like $2 shipping or something on them. Um, but there were two near mint copies sold just a day or two ago. And a, and a lightly played foil at around four four fifty. It's one of those specs that gets crushed if it gets released tomorrow in foil as an uncommon. Mm -hmm. And yeah. if it dodges that for three years, it's going to be a $30 foil. Yes. Yep. That's the the gamble you are essentially taking is, is how long how long can I fade this for? And so far, we don't have anything like probably like, again, as per, you know, as we say over and over again lately, secret layer is probably the most likely, but it doesn't seem like a priority card because it doesn't, I actually, doesn't have a relevant theme for secret. I layers. actually don't think secret layer would be the most likely home for this. I think it would be um, another expansion set, like, like a, uh, a casually like a battle bond esque jumpstarty yeah. type set. Any of them. Yep. Pick anything like that is, is probably where you're going to see this. Is It's been printed at both Uncommon and Common uh, recently. A, a um, Mystery Booster Part 3 foil in 18 months or something. 
Yeah, yep, yeah. So uh, who who knows really? And I mean, they could. It was in. Oh, hold on. Okay, I was thinking this was the one that was in the mystery boosters, but it is not. So I mean, they could also just put it in a mystery booster, and then you're safe for probably at least another two years. That seems like if I had to pick us pick something, I would say that's the most likely outcome here. Fair enough. So back on episode 270, Sods, uh, one of the pro traders, called out Mystical Archives, Demonic Tutor, Global Art, not Japanese Art, at 30 to go to 60. Near Mint copies on TCG for that are currently at about 37 or so, so he's already making progress. I'm going to go ahead and call out the foils of the same card here. Uh, because they have significantly lower inventory. 62 listings, no major walls, relatively steep ramp up towards 100, and keep in mind that even the non-foil of the Japanese Altart Demonic Tutor um, is going for, I think, 140 TCG market, and the foils are already at 290 and pushing 350. So... Very likely that the also excellent uh, global art for the Mystical Archives Demonic Tutor is going to close some of that gap. Like, the Japanese art is clearly the preferred, but is it triple better? Probably not. I would be willing to bet it's something like 50 to 75% better. But So this is the English art, or the, the global art English foil of demonic tutor from strixhaven mystical archives yes right right okay so to go 60 to 100 in 6 to 12 months okay i i say that out loud a because our listeners asked us to say it out loud more often and b because i just want to make sure that we're on the same page it's it's the kind of card that you would expect to be able to scoop in japan at for like 30 or 35 but they're already sold out on Haryu yet at 5,000 yen and also i should flag that when i said that the liliana was 50,000 that that would only be five hundred dollars. It's five hundred thousand yen, which is five thousand. Yeah, it, it works out right, Ish. right. But it's it's still fifty bucks. So is the the important takeaway here. It's it's yeah. This this one is close to fifty dollars for the demonic tutor sold out, and the Liliana was close to five thousand sold out. Okay, uh, demonic tutor. Uh, I made the crack earlier about demonic tutor being bad card to play in EDH, and I think that's true, but people are going to play it anyways, so it's a fine card to play, uh, to spec on, because regardless of my opinion on it, people will still play it. So I think you are in pretty decent shape here to pick up the foils of these. Um, I mean, yeah, you can't. They're sold out overseas on in on Haruya. I don't see them in another shop uh, at all either. They're not available. They're not any cheaper in Europe either. No, so it seems like you're pr- pretty much at the bar at the bottom. I think demonic tutors do seem, without having looked at any of the data, uh, just off the cuff, do seem to keep a I'm gonna say slightly tighter spread. Like basically because they don't drop that far when they come out. So they don't get as far away from their peak price as other cards seem to on a reprint. Um, But that doesn't mean there isn't still room for profit. There's been two. And the the thing that's interesting about Demonic Tutor, 
is that it has challenged and defeated multiple premium printings. So there was two Judge promos, both of which made people money if they got in at the right time. The Mystical Archive foils that got down uh, well under $200 less than two months ago are now pushing $340, like I said. The Ultimate Masters box toppers were down under $100 at one point, and now the cheapest near mint is oh, still still pretty close to $100, actually. Uh, but only 22 listings left, and they ramp real hard to 200 as well. So I, I would blame that on the art being kind of wonky. It's just like a dude in a ship with like a strange demon coming up behind him, but it's not particularly scary. Um, and so it's probably the least desirable of the bunch, especially since there's also alpha and beta versions of this card. Mm-hmm. Which are also top 100, top 50 iconic magic art. Yeah. So anyway, the Demonic Tutors, both non-foil and foil, and basically both versions, all Mystical Archive Demonic Tutors are look very likely to end up making people money. The only thing that might slow that down is if they gave us yet another Demonic Tutor within the year. But given that they gave us two versions here, in foil and non, it seems like they'll probably leave this one alone. Imperial uh, Tutor is much more likely to see a printing sometime soon, as far as I can tell. Well, you know, we talk about the fact that uh, you would expect them to slow down on reprints here and there because they've done it recently and they don't want to burn through all their equity at once. But they don't seem ashamed, afraid to burn through all sorts of equity very fast, very aggressively. So, <laughs> well, I mean, as much Maybe. as I as much as I agree that we are in the most aggressive reprint era ever, they're also that's also not crashing the prices of the associated cards. The the reality is that they don't go to the same well all the time because over and over again, they expand yeah. the pool at the bottom of the well and they can pull up something different. They, well, I, 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 I mostly agree with you. Uh, and, you know, uh, Cafferty pointed out that the reprints have to increase over time. Because more magic cards get printed, exactly. Which is the same uh, point I've made on cast multiple times. Yeah, which is which is a, which is a good way to point it out. As the number of magic cards grows, the number of reprints needed to keep a like percentage of all magic cards having been reprinted recently grows. So that that makes sense. Uh, that said, how many premium versions of Monocrypt did we get in the span of like two years? It, <laughs> Four. It's, it's, <laughs> It was like three, but it's such a bad example because all of those cards made money. The to well, to throw that on the table as hey, warning, don't get into a mana crypt situation. What? Don't get into a double or triple up. My my point wasn't to say that they weren't profitable. It was just to highlight that there are there are cards that they are clearly willing to print. Well, well they did and this print and print, but that doesn't mean it's a bad case. It's it's gonna work out poorly for you. Monocrypt very clearly shows that it that's fine. Um, the you know the the tier. As staples can withstand it. Well, and most importantly, those are still the exception, not the rule. If they were doing that constantly with everything, that would be one thing. But, you know, they also did it with Fabled Passage. We got it in Eldraine. We got it the next summer in M21. We just got it again as a promo. That's like basically three copies in two years. But it's also a super high demand land. And the card has also just has still made money <laughs> so they, yeah. they were probably correct to flag it as a good choice for a recently printed card to get you know a, a continuous stream of reprints the reality is that was you know between that and crypt and a few a, a small handful of other cards that's 
you know, that's the limit of how many cards have been multi-targeted over a five-year span. Yeah, my, my point wasn't to prove you wrong or anything. It was just to illustrate that they that is a decision they are capable of making and we've seen them make, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it works out poorly for you, just that it can happen. Yep, I agree. Uh, so in terms of our pro trader selection of the week, we've got Nate Blyweiss making a repeat appearance on cast. We tried not to do that wherever we can, but that just this just happened to be the, the best option this week. <laughs> the rest of you have disappointed us. <laughs> yeah, beat Nate so we don't have to give him more free credits with Cool Stuff Inc. Packed of negation foils, 6 to 12 months, TSPR to go 22 to 36 or so. It's in 34,000 EDH rec decks. Also sees a smattering of play in modern, including in the uh, ad nauseum decks that have made a minor inroads lately. Although, you, you know, if we're talking about what's tier two and beyond. That's certainly in there. Uh, 11% of all blue decks in EDH rec, 40 TCG, TCG listings near mint. It is worth flagging that you also saw this card in, was it M25? We had M25 and uh, time, M25, Time Sparrow Remastered, and Modern Masters. Right. And so. And apart from, and that's in addition to the original Future Site printing. Right. Which is basically impossible to get in foil. The. Sure. So the Masters 25 foils have been ceilinged at more or less, I think about $30 we flagged it at. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right around. Just a low 30s, yeah. So to say that this is going to go 22 to 36 is to say that it's going to surpass the current price of the M25 foils. But I think he's actually right because there's only like five copies under $35 and then it goes to 40 plus and the ramp's relatively steep up to 60 for the M25 copies. That says that this sees enough demand between a few different formats that they will dry up, they are drying up, and they will probably continue to dry up the ramp. And the... Time Spiral Remastered, keep in mind, was one of the lowest print runs for a major release this year. And you, it's reflected in the you know relatively low number of foils of this. You know, it was printed at Rare, not Mythic, right? Yes, Rare. And yet there are still only 34 total listings. And if you go to near mint foils, there's only 17 listings left. And the ramp's even steeper. So... Yeah, it, I I wasn't sold on it when we first brought it up, but as we poked around, I I was had to admit that the supply certainly made it look like it was a good pick, um, or at least at least decent with the um, the the two other copies there being starting at ten ish dollars more. I don't think you're going to turn this around overnight. That's going to take a little bit of time before you get there, but it does seem. Um, like you're in a good good shape. My biggest concern would be that there is going to the the growth would be slow enough that you might not beat out another reprint. Um, but you know, you have no idea. Like with anything, how long that you're you have to make that you're in competition with that, right? Like the reprint could come this year. It could come in four years at this point. Slight correction: it's forty listings foil near mint, not seventeen. Um, okay. But the ramp's still looking pretty good up to thirty plus. Yeah, so you're right. It could be a slow gainer based on the M25 pricing, but if the card just overall sees an uptick of demand from modern alongside the persistent EDH demand, then both of those foil versions are likely to dry up simultaneously. Yep. 
So de- a decent, uh, decent angle here. So $25 gift certificate from Cool Stuff Inc., our lovely sponsor, to Nate Liewise. Um, topic of the week. Wizards announced this week that there is a huge arena historic release coming. And the release is called Historic Horizons. Horizons. And there are 782 cards being added oh. to the historic format. I did not catch that. <laughs> I did not realize it was that big. I saw people say it was massive. I just thought they meant that it was uh, impactful. I didn't realize they were releasing an entire full-size cube into the format. I have no idea how many of those are actually going to be relevant cards, but we do know that one of the major features is 31 entirely new cards which are unique to Arena, many of which will have mechanics that only work digitally. So this is a schism in motion, separate turning arena magic into a different game than paper magic. Mm-hmm. Which there have been cards that were only available on arena, but not in paper. Uh, but this is the first time they have been effectively unprintable in paper. Because those were still magic cards as we know and love them. These are like their Planeswalker that they revealed. Um, it, it's actually basically the same, essentially the same formatting as the Urza from the last Unset. Where like that, that I don't remember if you, I, I, I had forgotten about this, but the formatting on that, it was an Urza head, Urza's head Planeswalker. And in order to use his abilities, it tells you to go to the website and activate him. Right. Uh and that's, you know, you, so you, you can't do that in paper. And that's what this Planeswalker is, essentially. So they gave us some examples of some of the cards that are going to appear in the set. One of them was a thing called Lumbering Light Shield. One in a white for a 1-4 illusion creature. When Lumbering Light Shield enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals a non-land card at random from their hand. It perpetually gains. This spell costs one more to cast. So the key word there is perpetually meaning that the system will track a result for you that in paper would have been annoying and would have been prone to uh, player error because it would require you to attempt to physically track something that would not be easy to track. Yeah, that was... uh, There's that, and then there's Seek and Conjure. Yeah. Um, with Seek being, uh, it pulls a random card that fits the condition from your deck. So uh, when Manor Guardian dies, each player seeks a non-land card with mana value two or less. So that means when he dies, the game is going to randomly choose a non-land card, a small non-land card, and put it in your hand. Right. It's going to do it for you. Right. So... They also showed us Davriel, Soul Broker, a new version of that character. Two and two black, four loyalty, Planeswalker, plus one loyalty. Until your next turn, whenever an opponent attacks you and or Planeswalkers you control, they discard a card. If they can't, they sacrifice an attacking creature. Minus two, accept one of Davriel's offers. Then accept one of Davriel's conditions. Minus three, target creature perpetually gets minus three, minus three. So this is pretty cute. Seems like a fun kind of card. You know, he's going to have, he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight offers. And I'm assuming the same number of conditions. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. Eight offers and eight conditions. So you basically get 
one good thing and one bad thing, but you get to pick. <laughs> so the offers can be draw three cards, whereas the conditions could be you lose six life. And so you get to mix and match those. There's a lot of play to that. And it's not, and it's not random, right? You get to. Oh, oh, is it I random? It was I? Oh, if, if it's random, then it then it, then I'm less excited about it. I, I thought that it was at random, just like that was just the way I interpreted the card. But now that you say that, I don't see it say random anywhere on here. Actually, yeah, it says in the IGN article. In practice, this has you pick one of three randomly selected positive effects. From a whopping possible list of eight before doing the same for a negative effect. Okay, so it seems like there is additional mechan- rules text that you is just not on the card. It's just like when it says accept one of his offers, it means it's going to present you three offers. And you're going to pick from those three, even though that's not written on here. It says you pick one of three randomly selected. So out of the eight, it shows you three, you pick one. And out of the conditions, it picks three of eight, and then you pick one. Yeah. Notable that the image in the IGN article, it does not say that. So It, 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 seems... does, it does above in an explanatory paragraph. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I believe that. My point is that if you look at this card online, you're not going to know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. But when you mess over it, it's going to give you the rules tip, as it does mm. on Arena. Hmm. So the, the bottom line is, what, you know, without getting into the weeds on individual cards, this is Wizard saying, we're going to lean into the digital thing. We're going to be more like Hearthstone. There's going to be more randomness in the game that is not related to, you know, whether you drew a land or not, or whether you drew a card or not when you needed one or the other. This is going to be about, from whatever position you are currently in the game, you have some chance of of victory or disaster based on something that is otherwise beyond your control. And so IGN ran a survey. How do you feel about digital only cards mechanics coming to magic arenas, historic format 12 per eight, 12.8% said it's an awesome idea. 9.6% said I like it. 3.7% said I don't care. 29.1% said I am wary and 448 said it's an awful idea yeah so you've got 10,000 votes you basically got three quarters of all the respondents out of 10,000 or so votes saying they are either skeptical or outright hostile to this premise Mm-hmm. which is not too surprising i mean people people really disliked um i mean there, I, I shouldn't say people really disliked there was a uh definite polarization to the d20 mechanic in uh forgotten realms right like some people really liked it some people were very unhappy to see that the d20 on like black border magic cards uh which which is interesting because there's there's a little bit to, to dig into there some people found the randomization in the cards frustrating and they didn't like that that had been added in a way that die rolling didn't exist in magic black border magic before but their complaint was that it's too much randomization, but like w- there's tons of magic cards that do stuff that's random 
right? Like that's not, and that's not even new. I mean, we have, you know, collected company is, it's, it's random. Obviously you influence it via your deck selection, but the point is you're still flipping six cards at random off the top of your deck. True. Uh, so like that mechanic exists and whether or not, whether you're flipping a, rolling a D20 to determine if your creature deals enough damage to win the game or you're going to lose when your opponent untaps or you're casting collected company and you have to hit one of your four combo pieces to win the game this turn and, you know, it's just random what's going to come up. It's still, I mean, the randomness still exists in the card. So I don't think that getting angry about the randomness is the appropriate tact to take. Uh, And I I say this as somebody who does not like this decision at all. Um, But my complaint here is not about adding randomness to the game. It's the schism. Yeah, I'm not sure... I'm not sure how I feel about the schism. I think it's probably fine overall. It does um, detach Arena from being as much of an onboarding tool, at least for um, deep commitment players. But maybe that's totally fine since it's historic they're changing and not standard. And they do make a big point here of saying that they're not adding any of this stuff into standard at present. Now, I wouldn't at put it present. past them. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't put it past them to if it goes well to experiment with that in the future. But I think that would be a bigger deal. I think to create two versions of standard, one online, and then when you go to the FNM, you've got to memorize completely different play patterns in per- person would put strain on both systems because it wouldn't encourage people to build the same deck and paper that they did in digital, which from my perspective is, is the end goal, right? Like the whole point of having both paper and digital for this brand is that you charge us twice. If, if what you end up doing is encouraging me to play arena and the, um, the margins are slimmer there overall, which they should be versus paper. Um, then, you know, is that really what we're supposed to be driving for as a business? I'm not sure. So I, you know, I, so let me, I, for, my first thought here is I, I really dislike putting um, cards that are for the first time truly distinct from Paper Magic. I do not like the split. I like that they were still the same game. Um They've gone 20, uh, 20, 28 years without having done that. And now that they have, you've, you're, Kibler kind of put it well. He said you, the value add of tossing in some cards with some randomness baked in like this, um, you know, overall, what are you adding to the game with that? It's very low versus the cost of now having sort of open Pandora's box on this because there's a significant amount of baggage that comes with this, not just the baggage that's today, but what will come in the future. And that's more my frustration here um, in the same way that like the Walking Dead thing wasn't wasn't just about what you were seeing in the moment. It, it's about being an omen for what's to come. Um, and what that what that path could lead us to. As for whether or not Wizards wants to ultimately put stuff like this into standard and create two standards, I think that that's somebody's end goal. 
that seems definitely something they'd be after because, you know, Wizards' goal is to sell you cards twice, right? Okay, but if I can play, if it's the same standard and I'm playing my elf deck on Arena, am I going to build buy it in paper? <laughs> I could play the deck in paper or on, on Arena, right? Like maybe I'm not going to bother to play it in paper um, because I, I can just play on Arena. But if they get two different standards running, now there's, I don't, I can't play the same deck in both formats. So I have my arena deck that I play arena standard with, and I can go then go to FNM and play my other standard deck. And now they really do get to sell me cards twice. They're not selling me the same cards twice, but they're selling me twice as many cards because they're getting me to play two different standards or historic online and modern in paper, which, and they kind of already have that there. So, you know, creating a second standard is kind of fits the same pattern. But that's just it. It doesn't really. Because, as you said, Historic and Modern are very different formats. So there's no confusion. But if you have two versions of Standard where 97% of the cards are the same, then it will get very frustrating. Because you're used to playing card X on turn Y to in anticipation of play action Z from your opponent. And then you get to FNM and you realize your deck's not legal or I would, or you don't know how to play this format or like the, the format the meta automatically rotates a little bit given that such and such cards aren't available to such and such decks like i, I think you want to have the point i'm making is you want clear delineations between formats mm-hmm. because if you have seven versions of modern it's just too confusing it's just too taxing on the system and the and the players so i don't disagree with that what i'm saying is if they if they were to create a standard here, uh, I don't think it'd look anything like real paper standard. It wouldn't be a ten card difference. It would be like a sixty card difference or a four hundred three hundred card difference. Like it would be significant enough that there is not confusion. Well, arena can start experimenting with one year standards. Mm-hmm. Basically, go back to like, block constructed. Yeah. I mean, that's also another good way to sell people more magic cards. So you start adding these random cards and you change the arena's rotation, standard rotation to be different than papers. Um, you now have very different metagames across formats. They can fix it on arena a lot faster. Um, also, arena is still a standard on arena. So if, if you have standard currently today, uh, it is my understanding that a ban in, in standard is a ban in standard. And that goes for both arena, moto, and paper, correct? Correct. Yeah, so they get to go get away from that too and treat them differently entirely. I don't know. That seems, It seems like something they would be in for because they can just disconnect them entirely. They can change format rotation. They can change the types of cards that are legal. And now you have two completely separate standards to play. There, there are certainly debatable pros and cons here, and I'm sure that they're doing plenty of that internally at, at Wizards when they're trying to plan these products out. One of the things that concerns me from a more a hot, like 30,000-foot view, however, on Arena, is that none of this stuff really looks like a way to expand the number of Arena players. When you start doing things like adding a bunch of cards to Historic, you are trying to... Uh, add longevity to the enfranchisement of your existing base but there's you're not signaling that you're trying to widen your base and i wonder 
based on their, you know, COVID era marketing activities, whether they've given up on that or they see that as something that they would return to later. It seems odd to not be going really hard at it during COVID because paper magic obviously was hamstringed in large part by COVID, but digital magic was the opposite. Video games did amazing during COVID because everybody was stuck at home and, and forced to play. So why didn't we see, you know, given that we just got the financial results from Wizards the other day and they said they had the highest revenues of all time, that Strixhaven and Modern Horizons 2 broke records for sales and profits were up for Wizards as a whole. So why didn't they reinvest heavily in broadening the market share of the game? I, well, I mean, probably for the same reason we've talked about before, is they realized that increasing the RPU is easier than increasing the player base. Could be. I but, mean, but I, you know, the, the, the problem is that I don't think Arena's economics lead to significant pro, uh, profitability improvements over the Magic Online model. And if you spend a ton of money to develop Arena and start the transition off of Magic Online towards Arena, you really, at some point, want to make more money per user. Your your ARPU is... The whole point of this entire 10 to 15-year project is to increase ARPU. So if ARPU goes down, you are working against yourself. Uh, yeah, I mean, if not... I mean, overall, I would imagine it's increased gross profits right because i mean if you can quadruple your arena install base you're not as worried if your rpu is slightly lower if you've added that many more players but um but that's just it if, if your rpu is being worked on to increase but you're not broadening the player base then you seem to have sacrificed the primary goal because as you said you'd be willing to take slightly less rpu to get a lot more players like the point when we originally ran economic analysis on arena versus magic online was that you needed a lot more scale. That arena was was at its foundation a play for scale. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're going to make yes. less money per user, but we're going to have way more users because we have a, a, a platform that's not entirely embarrassing and looks like it was made on MS DOS. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's that would of course be their goal. Um, I kind of lost the thread here well i mean your uh, your points stand you you made solid we've made points and counterpoints as to pros and cons of going beyond a huge release for historic and creating an, a, a similar schism in standard I, i'm not convinced that that's an auto win for them and i think it's tricky to it's playing with fire to even attempt it um but a lot of this depends on what they think their 20-year plan is. If they if they have been operating all along on the assumption that video games would supplant paper games and that they would eventually have to transition to full digital, and if that is still the background story they don't share with us, then it would explain some of this. If, to, from my perspective, this still very much looks like a brand where you want dual, dual and tri and quad revenues. Um, and I would be looking for, you know, trying to figure out what the optimum set of formats is to get deep commitment from the maximum percentage of your player base to expand that player base by creating different play experiences that capture new segments. I think um, that the Magic Universes program, if that's the correct naming for it, that brings in Warhammer and 
and Lord of the Rings and uh, Dungeons and Dragons. My Little Pony. Yeah, all that is 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 part of that. Like, because you're you're trying to like dip into those other fan bases and extract three percent of their users and add them to your own or whatever. But you know, we'll see how effective that is. You know, two or three years out from now, when we have a sense of whether those are actually growing magic as a game or whether they tend to be one-time dips like it's entirely possible that the D crowd comes in buys afr but if you don't give them an afr set every six months then they just go back to doing what they were doing um, yeah. as opposed to sticking around for the magic well if we, if we if we so if we look at arena right uh or you know if you look at paper the goal there is to has obviously been to dramatically increase rpu through secret layer and incredible amounts of premium products and all this type of stuff we've gone over this right the, the average magic player is spending way more money today than they were before um that's clear it's also seems likely at least at the moment that it is very hard to pull that off on arena like you can't it seems like you're not really going to be able to get to toss that type of like essentially cosmetic purchases that work well in paper to work on arena. I don't think that the, the, the right player base is there. The way people use the system isn't there. Um, I'm not saying it never will be, but like we're definitely not there today. So they're, you know, ideally they would have to scale the player base up, right? That's where they're, where they're going to go. The, what the question here is, do we think they actually have a good idea of how to do that? And that that that's I think the quite that what the what we kind of danced around at is we're ta- we're talking about what their intents are and and why we think they're making the decisions what have you but they might just be guessing not have yeah right like they, they just might be taking a shot uh, some executive was like all right I'm gonna take my career at Hasbro on this and I'm a white man and I can only fail up so let's do it <laughs> and um yeah. it's it's it similarly I I can't fathom. I can't fathom wizards walking away from paper even on a 20 year horizon. Like that just seems like clearly it's one of the brand's biggest strengths and legacy brands that leave behind their root. I feel like tend to really lose something, not just in the zeitgeist, but like I would not looking, you know, I don't have the profits margins on all this stuff, but it goes away. People don't like that. They, they associate that. So like to give that up is crazy. That doesn't mean wizards won't do it, but also like, why would they possibly think that's the right decision? Like well, if you thought that was going to be the case, you could have said that back in 1993 Well, let's, when let's, Nintendo and Super Nintendo and Genesis were around, right? Like you still could have been making that decision. Let's talk about the circumstances by which it would make sense. What you need to happen is that the additional overhead of, of producing a physical product which is basically all the outsourced portion beyond when they hand off the design file. So the printing by Cardamundi in Texas, the shipping and logistics to move that stuff around the world to get it into the hands of distributors, that's basically, and, and the marketing to support all of that. Um, and the operations support in terms of like WPN network, etc., is the extra. And so what you need to happen to make them be happy to get rid of all of that is to make so much more money per user on digital versus paper that it starts to become very clear that you should just get all the paper players to switch to digital. That would be something like they release uh, collector booster boxes with Eldraine and they're a huge flop 
and they never manage to sell any of us anything that's worth more than a $100 booster box, whereas on digital, they're selling $999 cosmetics constantly. And they're like, holy shit, video gamers just spend so much more money than paper table gamers. So we should really be pivoting the whole company in that direction. Now, fortunately, for those of us that love paper, that's really not how things are playing out. <laughs> when I play Arena, I try to spend... I have literally never given them a dollar, other than whatever the initial registration amount was. I never... I have never bought gems. I don't put money into that system at all. I do everything I do in there for free, and if I run out of whatever the free currency is, I wait until I can get more. So, through through winning a draft or whatever. The Whereas with paper, I just had something like 15,000 worth of sealed product come through my door within the last two weeks. So clearly paper is going pretty well and the era of premium magic is going pretty well. And all of the financial results that they reported this week reflected said same. Now I don't have a good sense of what, how their cosmetics actually do on arena. Cause as far as I know, they've never released that information. Um, I don't know if they do better or worse on average than, you know, COD cosmetics or Diablo cosmetics or whatever. But I would guess, as you did, that they do okay, but not amazing. Yeah. I mean, you, you really have to have a... a it's, it's hard to sell people those multi-hundred dollar, 30, 40, 50, hundred dollar pieces if they don't have that sort of emotional stake in the product. Um, and this is, you know, especially true if, you know, when you buy a fancy EDH card, you get to sit down with your buddies and put it on the table and make them pick it up and look at it. And it's cool, but on arena, you don't get any of that, right? I mean, you get to see it and obviously there's still money to be, people still do it because like in path of exile, there are $500 supporter packs, uh, and people buy them, um, because they think it looks cool. So people make those decisions, but, uh, I mean, people are definitely skinning their cards on arena. Like, arena codes that come out of secret layer packs do relatively well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, on, I remember we were talking in, about it. I just in, mean, in, like, in the secondary it, at, that, at that level, right? Is, you yeah, know, I, I don't have enough information to comment on that further. But I, I do think that this arena thing is kind of irrelevant to me personally. Because, again, I'm, I'm not a deeply committed arena player. I'm much more of a casual, you know, I play our tournaments on there. And that's most of what I do there. For the arena players, I'm sure this will be fine. Because especially the ones that have joined Magic in the last five years, they probably played other digital video games online like Hearthstone. This will seem pretty familiar to them. I think there's a lot of fun moments that will come out of this. It makes for good Twitch entertainment when, you know, Caleb goes to... Fig tries to figure out the Davriel, like, what what's my optimal, you know, boon and and condition that I select here. I think that's all fine. The There are definitely some muddy and tricky waters that they can get themselves in down this path, but I'll reserve my judgment on that until I see what the further developments are. Yeah, I, I that's fair. Um, I mean, I just dislike it for the fact that they're violating a convention that they haven't violated for all this time. And I think that the cost of adding this isn't worth what they get out of it. Um, but I guess, and I, you know, I would say time will tell. I don't know if it will really, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um, 
maybe they, maybe these go over really poorly and people don't like them and they don't touch them again for for seven or eight years and these things just kind of go down as a relic that existed and wizards got over them uh but something tells me that's unlikely to be the case well i'll say this much two final points when you're adding chunks of cards of magic's history at 800 per drop you accelerate the process of getting rid of magic online and Mm. and it's entirely possible that her historic will be the most interesting format in magic for a while with 800 cards added to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to talk about giving people time, a very wide open format to tinker with, uh, that is sure going to add fodder for a long time because it is going to take a while for people to chew through all that and just get the games needed to test everything. Cause I wouldn't be surprised if when modern horizons two released, there was about a month there where because you could play that on Magic Online, but not on Arena, Arena may have suffered. Yeah, I could see that. Stream, streamers all switched it over to Magic Online in a heartbeat because they wanted to test modern decks. And it, well, you know, it, and they were drafting MH2. If, uh, you know, when we talk about earlier, we're talking about switching standard formats um, and, and splitting those up. And I mean, that's what they're doing here is they're essentially trying to get historic to stand on its own two legs um, and differentiate itself from modern and like pioneer. And, you know, in the same way that we talked about, I talked about splitting standard into, you know, two very distinct standards. They've, they're already doing that with essentially their legacy formats. You have modern as the paper legacy format and historic as the online legacy format. And they are different formats with different experiences and different cards that matter. And if you want to play them both, you got to buy two different sets of cards. Fair enough. All right. Where can people find you online, Travis? Uh, I am on Twitter, wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N, where we, uh, I was complaining about Common Core, complaining about people complaining about Common Core math today. <laughs> my, my current complaint is that Toronto suddenly has the worst air quality on the planet because of the forest fires north of us. But, you know, go, go ahead and just keep driving your pickup trucks because... It's not like the planet's in jeopardy. Um, you guys can find me on Twitter at MDGCritic, as well as via my occasional articles on MDGPrice.com and my constant haunting of our ProTrader Discord, the heart and soul of the ProTrader community. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MDGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast, which brings us to the end of episode 282. All sorts of interesting topics this week. A nice reprieve in... Uh, the middle of what's looking to be kind of a long slog this summer <laughs> thank you travis we'll see y'all next week on another episode of mg fast finance hopefully you're all wearing your masks out there mm-hmm.